Welcome, my name is Loriana Hernandez Aldama, two-time cancer survivor and patient advocate, and you are listening to Stage Free, the place where we help cancer patients find the tools and resources they need to master survival. Cancer survivorship begins the day you are diagnosed. Over time, you may beat it or you may learn to live with it. Whatever the outcome, you probably wanna talk about it, and that's where we can help. Each week, I will share my insights and personal experience along with notable experts and cancer survivors. Together, we can help patients navigate the complicated road all survivors must travel. The goal, we want everyone to have an equal chance to not only survive, but most importantly, to thrive. Hello everyone, I am honored to be your host for Stage Free. I'm Loriana Ignatis Aldama, and this is truly a dream of mine to be able to pivot, which I never thought I could do after cancer, and then leverage my years as an Emmy award-winning journalist, and also the real life experience as a two-time cancer survivor to educate and empower others. I always said I would do this. If I survived, I will help pave the road and make it better for others. And this is what I'm doing. And it's just a privilege to be with you today. My guest and my topic today, I should say, before I introduce Dr. Brian Fricky, who is amazing, the topic we're talking about is prehab. And you know how important that is. You know, my book is The Power of Prehab. So I'm excited and I think this is such a, an important topic. So make sure you're, you listen in on this one. Dr. Brian Fricky is the Director of Cancer Rehabilitation at UT Health San Antonio and the Mays Cancer Center. And he focuses, um, it's not just, while his title involves rehab, it's not just about rehab, it's about prehab. And we're going to talk about that. His title says rehab, but I want to go how I discovered how the two go hand in hand. So don't worry. Um, Dr. Fricky, thank you so much for joining us. We are going to talk. I know you know all about my leukemia battle with AML leukemia and how I had that aha moment. But first, I want to welcome you so we could start that dialogue. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and pleasure to talk about this very important topic with you this morning. So, yeah, let's talk about when um, how I discovered prehab. You know my story. Yeah. Do you think patients even know enough about it? For me, it was like a light bulb moment. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, not, not a lot of folks know about it. It's gaining ground. Um, it is something that is has a growing recognition even within the oncology world of how important it is. And uh, I know that you had your journey with, with AML and, and kind of realizing that, Hey, this is something that really impacted your life and something that you were kind of already doing without even realizing it. It seemed yes. like. Yeah. When I was a news anchor and fitness and medical reporter, I was so focused on the clean eating, green drinking. I was the yoga enthusiast telling everyone what to eat to avoid cancer because I thought you could actually eat stuff to avoid cancer. And and yes, you can prevent in some ways. So I don't want to discourage anyone with that. But what was yeah. just the aha moment is when I got to Johns Hopkins after being misdiagnosed elsewhere twice, and they said, listen, you only have a 25% chance of survival, but you have all 25. There are people on this hall who would have had a 25% chance of survival, but they show up not fit, not prepared, and they may have a 10% or 12% survival. Because for me, I had to really reflect and I thought, did I, was I like a fraud to all the viewers and telling them, drink this green drink on my clean eating show and you're going to avoid cancer. And then my oncologist, Dr. Mark Levis, who's at Johns Hopkins, brilliant man. And he said, listen, what matters most, don't worry right now about how you got here, how many hours you work, burning the candle at both ends. You need to worry about that you showed up fit for this fight. And this is called right. prehabilitation. And I was like, where has this been my whole career? That This was my defining moment. Right, right. And so a little bit about what I do as far as cancer rehab goes, as you mentioned earlier, um, 
cancer rehabilitation has kind of come out of this recognition that there are so many cancer survivors. That folks are living so much longer with and beyond cancer uh, than they ever have, which is fantastic. Uh, but we're seeing all of these long-term after effects of cancer and, and fighting cancer and, and the treatments that you go through that, frankly, we just didn't see as much before because people weren't living quite as long. So this is a good problem to have in a sense, but a problem nonetheless. And so myself as, as a rehab medicine doctor and doing cancer rehabilitation, uh, specializing in that, it's something where um, it's grown. It's a field that's grown out of this recognition, recognition that there's a gap there. And that gap is really addressing functional outcomes, addressing quality of life, really tackling a lot of these uh, issues. But with prehab, uh, that's also something where, where we come in and help provide guidance on that front in terms of education about exercise, physical activity, diet, um, mindfulness, and, and uh, goal setting kinds of things where it's recognizing that there is this whole cadre of disciplines that to date has not been uh, as well utilized as it could be to put folks, as you said, in, in as good a position to be and show up for the fight when the fight does come knocking at your door. Yeah. I, and I want to go back to one of the quotes that I always have in my slides with my doctor. And I know you and I were talking about this, that when I said to my oncologist, I don't understand about prehab. How did I miss this in all my years of reporting? And he said, look, we can't kill you trying to save you. Like if your heart's not strong enough, your blood pressure's not good enough, you're overweight, we have to, you know, we have to modify your dose. And he would tell me, when you walk the halls because of HIPAA, I can't tell you, but the bags of chemo, instead of being this big like yours, look around, they're, they're, they're much smaller. And he said, we can't kill you trying to save you. And so he said, you have to, and I came up with this 3P protocol with him. He said, you have to prepare, present, prevail. You have to prepare yourself for illness every day before you're diet, even before you're diagnosed, once you're diagnosed, well into survivorship. So you present well to your medical team when you show up and you're better positioned to prevail. Now he was very clear. This is not a guarantee you're going to survive. You still only have 25% chance of survival, but you have all 25. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a, a pivotal moment to understand this. And I couldn't wait to share it with viewers. I, I love the work that you're doing, and, and I want you to share more of the history of what prehab is. Yeah, so this concept of prehab really started um, not even in the healthcare world. It started actually around World War II um, times in, in, the in the 30s and 40s, where uh, soldiers in Great Britain were actually getting prepared for war. And so these new recruits would come in not really meeting the physical standards of a soldier, and so they were given put on this program to really get them into fighting shape, quite literally, right? Uh, it really made us, uh, this concept of prehab made its foray into the healthcare world uh, initially with uh, joint replacement surgeries, hip and knee surgeries, which are major surgeries. Um, and there was good evidence to show that folks who were functioning at higher levels before surgery would do better after surgery. They would have more mobility, they would have more range of motion in their, in their joints, they would have fewer complications that would occur as a result of the major surgery. And it's really been over these last two decades that this concept of prehab has started to enter into the oncology world, where there's a lot more research looking at not only the safety, uh, that's always top of mind, safety of physical activity and exercise in cancer and during treatment, but also looking at what are the outcomes like? What are we actually preventing? What are we avoiding? 
We're seeing shorter hospital lengths of stay. We're seeing um, increased rates of return to intended oncologic treatment, um, much the same way you were describing where you're getting that big bag of chemo that's really the intended treatment, but not having to have it dose reduced and, and treat the cancer less effectively. Um, and the most exciting thing I think to me is even seeing some of this early research into how the effects of exercise might even be impacting tumor biology, um, potentially making our chemotherapy agents that we use more effective um, and more and better at uh, beating the cancer that you have. So um, yes. it's a really exciting time to be a part of all this. And I'm so glad that prehab is becoming more and more common because it would drive me crazy once I started to learn about it and you go to a doctor's office and you hear someone getting back surgery or knee surgery, whatever, whatever ailment they were facing. And they'd say, oh, we're going to sign you up for rehab afterwards. I'm thinking, why are right. you not prehabbing people? And I remember with uh, one of my best friends, Amy, when I was in the hospital at 24, in 2014, and I'm telling her prehab and we're Googling. I'm like, look, it autocorrects to rehab. And then one day she called me and she said, Laura, it's not autocorrecting. Prehab is out there and alive on the internet, like everywhere you look. And it, it made my day because that means the word yeah. is getting out, the importance of prehab. It is growing. What still disheartens me because, I, you know, with Armor for Life, we fight to help everyone master survival. We work to achieve equity with the underserved. And we think about equity. And not everyone has access to these types of programs, the programs that you're doing right now, to prehab patients. Right. And, and it's it's still kind of getting going. There are many cancer centers across the country or either in the infant stages or, or just starting to really make this part of their their standard treatment protocols, um, identifying patients when they, from the time of diagnosis, um, initial diagnosis, there's usually a, a time frame in which there's a lot of planning that takes place, getting the chemotherapy regimen together, um, getting additional imaging to, to determine what stage of, of cancer that you have, um, formulating that treatment plan. And so there's an increased recognition on the part of these oncology teams that, hey, there's there's a little bit of downtime here between when we first recognize that, hey, you have cancer to when you're getting that first infusion or that first radiation treatment or surgery. So why don't we take advantage of that time, get you on this protocol right. where we're strengthening your body, building that functional cushion or armoring up, as you as you say, um, to to really prepare yourself for this fight that you have ahead. But I do want to point out one of your colleagues and, and my dear friend, Dr. Daniel Hughes, who we also interviewed for our podcast. And for a while, it's been, it's been we're still trying to convince people, and I'm sure you have this challenge too, that prehab can still start when a patient is diagnosed. It's So trying to get funding or support about prehab, they're like, oh, well, but they've already been diagnosed. No, you're prehabbing every day. I'm prehabbing because I pray, pray that I never see a third cancer, but I'm prehabbing for all the problems I face with the long-term complications from chemo. I'm prehabbing for whatever ailment I may face in my life, we're all going to face something. So we're prehabbing every day, but do you still find it a struggle to convince people when you say we need to prehab this patient and they've been diagnosed three weeks ago? Right. And unfortunately, yeah, there's, there's still a, a lot of challenges. Um, one of, I think the, the kind of takeaways that I have from it is that it's, it's to a degree, it's an unfortunate reality of the state of healthcare in the U.S. And without getting too political, anything that really has pre in the name um, as it relates to healthcare, generally not reimbursed. We, we don't think ahead of time, even though it's well recognized and well established that 
folks like yourself, when you're in that position, there's there's a lot going on. Your head is swimming. You heard the C word. Um, the but as soon as you get past that, you're you go into this mode of like fight or flight. What what do I do now? What's next? And and being met with this idea that oh we're just waiting until the treatment starts. Well, that's that's nonsense. We have all this downtime, and you, like you said, you're prehabbing every day. Your your baseline physical activity, um, your your diet, um, how you are taking care of your mental health. These are all things that are in in no small way. This is preventive. This is preventive care. This is preventive for any ailment that you might face in your life, any kind of healthcare condition. Well, and it's supporting the whole patient. I, and when I'm out there advocating all over the place, I always say you have to support the whole patient because if you're not supporting the whole patient, you're still failing us. Because right. we are a whole patient, you have to look beyond just the disease. When we're supporting the whole patient, then we can improve our outcomes and our success rates. Because if you're not mentally in the game, if you're not physically in the game, it doesn't matter what kind of drug is there. We can't take it for as long because we may give up and quit. Now, what are some of the, you said there's other types of programs. If, if someone's listening right now and they want to ask their provider, their oncologist, their cancer center, hey, is there a prehab program? Is there other names that it may be under? Yeah, so one of the other names, and I, I know we talked about this before, and neither one of us are huge fans of this terminology, but uh, enhanced recovery programs are another term that is thrown around out there, um, describes a very similar type of intervention where there's guidance on physical activity, there's guidance on nutrition and optimizing your diet, um, and trying to get you, knowing that the oncology team as part of the treatment protocol is going to put your body through something that we know is going to take a toll on it knowing that that's going to happen, let's do something about it. We know it's going to happen. Let's do something to build that cushion, to armor up, to get you stronger so that you're able to more easily absorb that hit and and recover that much more quickly and get back to your normal life. And I'd say when I, I had uh, my breast cancer, they sent out somebody, kind of an enhanced recovery program. I say that in air quotes, because while we do need to be able to function in our house, like open the kitchen cabinets, person's like, oh, you can open your cabinets and you can go up and down the first step. I'm like, no, I got, I have an eight-year-old. I need, at the time he was right. eight, I'm like, I need to be able to like go to the park with him. I need a better QOL, as they say in healthcare, quality of life. Yes. I need to be able to function because if I'm functioning, I'm doing better. And one thing I shared with you is when I was in the hospital and I was in so much pain when I had AML leukemia, it was so tempting to take pain meds. And I understand that many times you just have to cave and do it to function. But I started to notice that the more pain meds I took, the more tired I was and the more difficult it was to get out of bed. So I literally had to make a conscious decision because I did have a survival guide and schedule for myself. Coming from being a reporter, I had a schedule. And I noticed that the days I took pain meds or took extra pain meds, I couldn't get out of bed to prehab. And I knew the numbers and I knew what you're talking about, that the more I would walk, the better statistics and studies would show the better, more effective the chemo might be. So I had right. to make a decision. How was I going to balance and be able to prehab and manage my pain? And I even had to, then this was in 2014, I had to pay someone out of pocket to come in to do um, a low pressure massage and do all of this out of pocket because it wasn't available. So tell me what kind of, I, I think of this and it really pains me to hear that patients have to go through this. What do you say about that? And are you hearing patients struggle about, should I take the pain meds? Should I prehab? 
because you can't always do both all the time yeah all the time and so that's one of the that's one of the highlights i think for the need for having more more funding more recognition more um, support for these kinds of programs because when i hear all that as a rehab doctor my mind starts swimming of you know well what kind of pain medications is she on are those the appropriate ones are there other pain medications that might be better suited towards the kind of pain that she has is her pain even related to her cancer or not? Um, just because you um, have cancer doesn't mean that every ailment that you then face, every impairment, every pain is a byproduct of the cancer or its treatment. Uh, and so having, uh, we're very fortunate to a degree where there's this increasing recognition and in guidelines as well. Um, the NCCN guidelines in 2020 have, active, have actually um, explicitly cited uh, cancer rehab as a an integral part of the oncology treatment team yeah. uh, to be able to guide those kinds of decisions and guide that kind of treatment to do these pre-exercise evaluations where we're identifying well what issues might you have what where where do we need to maybe make these medical interventions to make sure it's safe for you to exercise um, or what kinds of um, what kinds of modifications do we need to make to your exercise program specifically for you um, as an individual to facilitate you being able to engage in that physical activity and get the benefit of a prehab program, uh, coordinating with the interdisciplinary team, with physical therapists to help guide that further, with, um, uh, with our nutrition, with our dietitians um, to provide optimal nutrition guidelines and recommendations, develop a meal plan, to collaborate with our psychologists to be able to work on mindfulness techniques, stress management, goal setting, uh, all of these different things, and really having that holistic approach that you described, treating the entire patient. Um, right. That's really where we live as, as cancer rehab docs. And um, it's it's been slow but steady progress in getting uh, additional funding and support for these programs, but there's still a lot of work to be done, no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, I, I look back and again, this all reminds me of so many different phases of my journey facing two cancers. And I, I, when I had that aha moment about how important prehab was, I would start knocking on doors. Of course, the hospital staff and HIPAA, like, you can't go in there. I'm like, Armando, you have to get up. I'd knock on the door. I'm like, you, you got to walk. You cannot, I, I haven't seen you leave, leave your room. So I became, I needed something to advocate for. And this was how I focused my advocacy in the hospital. But you also say it's never too late to prehab, no matter what phase you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, to your point, right, with the with the Armor Up uh, program, that there's really you never know when that next fight next fight is going to come knocking on your door. Um, at times, patients are living even after they've entered the true survivorship phase, where they've they're they've achieved NED and and there's no evidence of disease on the scans and they're in remission and we've won the game. There's always that specter of recurrence looming over you, and so you never really know what the future holds. And so making sure that you are in a position to be as prepared as possible for that fight should come for you it is really the most that you can do. And as I tell a lot of folks myself too, when I see them in the clinic, um, as I mentioned earlier, the, the cancer treatment process can feel very prescriptive at times where you are told what chemo regimen you're going to get. You're, you're the surgery is done to you, you are given radiation. It's, it can be a very passive process for patients. And your physical activity level, what you put in your body with your diet, um, your, your 
mindfulness practices and meditation mm-hmm. and stress management techniques. These are all things that you can actively do. And there's this growing body of evidence that show that not only is it safe for you to do that, your outcomes more often are better. Uh, you have fewer complications that occur to you. And as I mentioned before, there's some emerging evidence that you might actually be fighting the tumor directly even by doing Absolutely. these things. I would say what you eat, how much you sleep, the stress and toxicity that you have going on in your life all determines. It's like a wheel of success of how well you show up fit to the fight because something will happen to all of us. As Dr. Hughes was mentioning on one of our other episodes, about 40% of people are expected to get some sort of cancer. Um, I know when I got, I live a very strict in a very strict world with myself because I want to reduce inflammation. I know for my transplant, I have a lot of inflammation and I eat no gluten, no dairy, no sugar, no caffeine, no corn, no meat on most days. But I love when people are like, here, have this burger, live a little. I'm like, my choice not to have this particular meal that you're offering me, high fat, whatever, is helping me live more. So let me stick with my choices and it it will help me prehab. I mean, everybody's different. But can you tell me... Um, when you see people come through your program with different comorbidities of how you see the success rate of the more prepared versus those who have a little more challenges to overcome? Absolutely. Um, so those folks who, um, and we've seen this some in, in research as well uh, that's been done. A lot of it's been done out of MD Anderson in, in Houston, but uh, we've seen not only folks who really clinically that the ones that are engaging, actively engaging in their exercise, who have really drunk the Kool-Aid, if you will, of, yeah. of moving and, and eating, taking their diet very seriously and, and putting in all the efforts, they really do. They tend to do better. They they need less rehab afterward or what we sometimes refer to it as post-hab now um, after they've gotten their treatment. Um, they tend to need less help. Um, less less physical therapy, less support, less time in the hospital, and and a quicker return to what their pre- baseline function was. For well, re- folks who don't do that as much, it's it's not impossible, but it it is a, it's a steeper climb afterwards. I know I've had a lot of like long term complications from all the chemo and radiation that I've had from leukemia, but I also asked my doctor because I had ten months of what they call high DAC that was intensive chemotherapy and radiation. Then my cancer came back, and then I had a setup of chemo radiation to go into a transplant, a bone marrow transplant as well. And because of all of that, that was very toxic on my body, very hard for me because they pivoted and really gave me what two patients would get. And so a lot of times when I'm in the doctor's office with my oncologist crying about the neuropathy, the bone pain, the muscle, after all these problems, and I'm like, the GVHD I had, I asked my oncologist, well, how are the other patients doing who had this much? And he's like... They're not here. Like you, you need to realize you are a unicorn. You were so fit that we were able to max out your doses and your treatment plan. But now, yes, there are trade-offs and you are paying the price. And I'm sorry, but realize that it was a gift that you showed up fit. So uh, I know that I have my 3P protocol, prepare, present, prevail. And I hope people acknowledge and, and apply that long before they're ever diagnosed with cancer or any other illness. And you have a, a five, but you call it the starting five. Yeah. So, you know, I, it comes from this idea of being in San Antonio. We're, we're a big, big Spurs team, uh, big Spurs place, and uh, we really support our San Antonio Spurs. Uh, but really battling cancer, I like to say battling cancer is a team sport, right? We do this all 
The oncology team is made up of di various disciplines. Our prehab programs are made up of various disciplines. Uh, oftentimes, pa cancer patients really thrive when they're part of a community. So um, coming from that in the basketball world, the the start my starting five for people who are just now getting initiated in, into the, the prehab world, um, first things first, start where you are. Um, if you're a never exerciser, if you're someone who's dabbled in a walking program, or if you're a full-on athlete like you were, Lolo, where you were, you know, very, very physically active and physically fit, um, start wherever you are. What you're, you're, you are your own comparator. Um, you don't look to anyone else to see like what I can or should be doing. You, you start where, where you are. Um, the second thing, movement is medicine. Everything counts, whether that's walking up and down some stairs, whether that's walking down your hall whether that's doing laps around the block, um, everything counts. Uh, consistency is key. That's my third point. Uh, going too hard and missing days doesn't help you. Uh, you want to make sure that you're listening to your body, pacing yourself, and consistently doing your activity program every day, doing something. That's what's going to pay the long-term dividends. Uh, fourth point, give yourself grace. Um, really just, again, once again, I can't stress this enough, just do your best. No one can ask more from you than what your best is. So doing that, that's all we can ask of you. Uh, whatever metric you set for yourself is just goal setting. That does not mean by any means that you have failed if you don't meet that goal. Um, and then last but not least, uh, don't forget to stretch. Uh, many, many people forget after their exercise program to make sure they stretch those same muscle groups. My rule of thumb is for every minute that you're exercising a particular muscle group that you spend at least two minutes stretching. So uh, make sure that you're doing that. That's going to help reduce the occurrence of injury. That's going to help speed recovery, help you feel less sore the following day. Um, all, all those together, I think, really will help get folks started from the physical activity perspective and hopefully set you up for success. It will. And I'm glad you said consistency is key because I have to hear that all the time and, and remind myself of it. So I'm glad you reminded me because I get so frustrated with the weight gain from the chemo pill and I'm eating so clean so I go and do some crazy boot camp and I'm like, I, I'm just going to do this boot camp, which I know is raising the cortisol. What happens the next day I have shingles and then I'm in bed for two days and then I can't work out. So I'm like, okay, let me remember what, let me meditate and remember what Dr. Brian Fricky told me consistency <laughs> and, and find what you can do and moderate it. And I, and, and I have to laugh and I love that you called me Lolo because it comes from being on TV many years and the directors never could say, take this camera, Loriana, Loriana. So they just started calling me Lolo. So that became my nickname as Lolo <laughs> for all the directors and producers. And it makes me laugh. And I also want to point out your title because I think I may have just blown through it at the beginning. And it's important to mention Dr. Brian Fricky, Director of Cancer Rehabilitation at UT Health San Antonio and the Mays Cancer Center, talking about the power of prehab. We are so excited and stoked that you were able to be here on our podcast we can't wait to have My you pleasure. on again. So thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to it. Thank you, Lolo. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Stage Free. Join us every week for a new podcast featuring thought leaders and experts who will help cancer survivors not only survive, but ultimately thrive throughout treatment and recovery as they learn how to master survival. Learn more about us at armorupforlife.org.